Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by AsWetLife.com, on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen. With me, I have Maggie Umberger and Cindy Kuzma. Morning, Gina. Good morning, Gina. This week, you talked to Colin Hudson in Chicago. Is that correct? I did speak with Colin Hudson in Chicago. And what's interesting is I know Colin from... Crosstown Fitness, but I also got to know this other side of him. He is a founder, he is a business owner, and he started the company Soapbox Productions, which both does community organizing as well as media creation around community organizing. So what sorts of issues has he been organizing about? Right now, Soapbox is really active around the idea of No Cop Academy. So in Chicago, there was a pretty big proposal, a pretty big financial commitment by the city to create a police academy in West Garfield Park. And Soapbox Productions is rallying and organizing around not doing that. Instead, spending the proposed funds on things like community programs, schools, which are being closed down around the city of Chicago as well. And the thing about community organizing is that when you are an organizer, your your objective is to essentially seed the message that you're sharing to get people activated along with you on that message and to ultimately impact change however you you need to. So one of their main objectives is ensuring that they you'll hear him say this flip alderman. So getting an alderman's vote or potential vote from yes to no on the police academy is one of their key objectives, which is super interesting because they also spend a lot of their time also creating media like videos and podcasts. Their videos that they create are really well produced and they've created a short that details this community group, these children specifically, who are saying why they don't want a police academy in their neighborhood and the negative impacts that maybe some people haven't thought about when it comes to this as well. Their podcast is called Bourbon in Brown Town and that podcast, they get to talk about all sorts of things they care about, everything from race relations to gender inequity to anything that, that they sort of see and want to name on a podcast. You mentioned this briefly that you know him from Crosstown Fitness, so he is also a trainer, group, and personal. I know a lot of trainers that will say that their main mission is to be able to inspire the people that come to their classes or their clients. He has a different vision or or goal how training can also accomplish his other big goals and how the two, personal training and uh, community organization, can be really intrinsically linked. Is that right? Yeah, no one can move a group better than a community organizer. And I say that because I, too, did my share of community organizing. I I worked on the Obama campaign in 08, and you learn very quickly that no matter what, you have to say what you need from the group. You have to say it confidently, and then you have to stop and watch them take an action. So I think that really, really applies to teaching group fitness classes. You'll see an instructor, if they don't speak with confidence, no one does what they say. No one does what the trainer or instructor says. But if they speak with confidence and pause to watch what you do, generally everyone in the room will do what you need them to do. But he's obviously, he's not walking into a group fitness scenario and espousing maybe the same political beliefs that he would on his podcast or in his community organizing, but he does see it as an opportunity to empower people in a new and in a different way, which I thought was really interesting. Well, I cannot wait to share this interview. So here is Gina with Colin. 
Don't go anywhere, Goal Getter. There's more to this episode. You'll hear at the end from people just like you out there hustling and achieving or setting big, big goals. Yeah, I'll sit, I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not uh, Okay, uh, my name's Colin Hudson, uh, and I'm a group fitness instructor. And also I'm the founder and executive producer of Soapbox Productions and Organizing. That's one would feel very disparate, <laughs> those two things, but I don't think they are. I, too, have started a company while also group fitnessing. So I'm wondering which came first. The fitnessing came first officially. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I started teaching my last summer of undergrad at Paul University. Okay. I already worked at the gym as a building manager and like worked out, obviously. And I had never gone to a group fitness class, but like saw them happening. Yeah. Um, in the spring before my senior year, um, I did Insanity, Shanti DVDs with a friend of mine in the early mornings. Before that was really early for me. Like Shanti's a friend of yours or with a friend of oh, yours? Oh, I wish. No. Uh, <laughs> with a friend of mine, we did Shanti's Insanity. Got Some it. Some folks don't know what it is. Yep. They would do Insanity in the mornings, um, the whole account of program, the two-month program, what mm-hmm. have you. And it was, like, fun. I was like, that was cool. And, like, no no equipment. I could just do things on my own. Yeah. So that's, like, I kind of fell in love with bodyweight exercises and, like, that kind of cardio. That was more fun for me than, like, running for a long distance. Yeah. So I did that. I'm like, that was super fun. Like, I could, I could, I could be a Shanti. I could, like, yell and coach people and kind of, like, be energetic and mm-hmm. stuff. I'm not doing everything they're doing. And then, coincidentally, um, for the summer, they're looking for more instructors. And I was like, okay, cool. So I kind of interviewed and auditioned to teach a class that was strictly bodyweight, no equipment, mm-hmm. um, kind of in lieu of kind of, like, uh, um, insanity. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the rest is history. And the rest is history. Yeah. I was um, majoring in film. Got it. Digital cinema, as Paul called it then. And with that, I always wanted to, like, minor, double major in, like, sociology or African black diaspora mm-hmm. studies or something with some kind of, like, social research tinge. Yeah. Um, could I really do that? But I was in the honors program as well, which had a really good uh, liberal arts education, a really mm-hmm. good uh, way of, like, probing and teasing out different ideas and writing and research and all that good stuff. So mm-hmm. I got a little bit of that. So like, and in high school I was like president of the Black Student Union and all that. So mm-hmm. I had like, I had like this activist mantra and this wanting to kind of push against, you know, social cues, social the status quo, racism, capitalism, sexism, yeah. all the isms like then too, that was there with me. I talked about those issues and things like that all the time. Uh, but formerly was studying film and like did, did fitness. At first it was just kind of like a side hustle. It was kind of fun. And then after I graduated, I did a lot of freelance film. Um, got involved a little more in that some activist circles, and then um, also taught a lot more. Mm-hmm. Taught outside just the bodyweight class that I taught at Paul. Got more certifications. Started in other studios, other gyms, and stuff. And so it very much became like a second career. Yeah, which was fun for me. One thing that I know a number of publications have talked about, like Well and Good has talked about it, and many others. But there's there's sort of like this whitewashing and this lady washing of mm-hmm. wellness in general. So I'm interested in sort of like the culture of inclusion and how the fitness industry in general can just get better being more inclusive and be and wellness being for everybody. So I I guess I asked that question because I don't know the answer. It's, It's sort of like a fun place to jump off of because I think the industry in general can do better, whether that means like including people in different neighborhoods or um, building programs in different neighborhoods where people would need fitness that don't have it. Yeah, I have, that's interesting because I feel like, at least with the the, the geo-specific programming stuff, Mm -hmm. it is super interesting to me because there's been times where different places want to expand their studios and things like Mm -hmm. that, and and then we get the economic argument as far as like Mm -hmm. open up here, 
I'm not I'm not gonna make money because I I tr- had this price point in this neighborhood which people can afford it they can't afford it here mm-hmm. like on on paper it doesn't make sense for me to do that mm-hmm. um, and there's like there's an argument argument there to, to be had but uh, from a business standpoint like that might not make sense uh, but I think there's I think that's where you come into the space of like programming mm-hmm. and A does like get your cost down and so I wouldn't because it's important yeah. but also how do we program with how do we not come into a place you don't know anything about just yeah. a business just to take money from them? Because that's like why mm-hmm. they just franchise in the first place. Uh, but how do you partner with organizations who are doing stuff around green space, who are having community mm-hmm. gardens? Asada's Daughters has a garden on. I'm not sure exactly where it is, but it opened up like a couple months ago, and it's, it's awesome. But they do a lot of holistic stuff with black women and girls, um, but they have a community garden somewhere. But mm-hmm. this is their one example. They're yeah. a big, you know, awesome, awesome group. There's lots of examples of, of community gardens and uh, green spaces and people doing like holistic uh, type of work mm-hmm. in disenfranchised communities of color around Chicago. That's mm-hmm. that's a place I know. So it's like, how does the broader fitness community that's like mincing around down, downtown yeah. and up north, who has all these cool studios, all these cool equipment, all that, partner and not even partner, but like create a relationship with some of these groups who are kind of health oriented, mm-hmm. but understand how white supremacy, understand how capitalism, understand how patriarchy mm-hmm. devoid these neighborhoods of resources mm-hmm. and look at that holistic, uh, look at that macro level issue and policies that have taken away resources from certain neighborhoods and also work, work towards that issue on the ground as working people um, who are affected by it now. Um, so like I said, the, the, the holistic approach and incremental is important because not, we're not gonna get a certain radical change tomorrow. Mm-hmm. However, we should have that as our goal and, and work towards that whenever whenever makes sense. And so we always have to have this framework of how does, why does the environment look the way it is because of white supremacy and capitalism, decades mm-hmm. of disenfranchisement under you know democratic <laughs> mayoralship in Chicago, mm-hmm. but then how do we on the ground make programming that makes sense, that addresses this overarching framework but also works with folks and to not only educate, but just like learn from each other as far mm-hmm. as how we push this forward and like talk about health and wellness, and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. See, I find it interesting that a lot of, maybe not as much with the inclusion argument, but mm-hmm. now with mainly kind of more like health and wellness versus like fitness, fitness, but we have this mantra of uh, being holistic in our approach, which I think is great and awesome mm-hmm. and on point as far as like um, eating and not even dieting, having a lifestyle change, and then uh, how like working out is also important, and then how mental health and self-love and self-care is all important. We have this mm-hmm. whole, this awesome holistic model as far as how to make the, the self better. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to politics, it's like, oh, put that at the door. That's not like, that's not, this isn't this fitness or this workout class isn't this space for this. Or like, yeah. this taste this. I think politics has a dirty tint, especially now after Trump, which is like another thing that just like, you say politics, people think you're talking about the election. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is politicized, everything is socialized. Yeah. Uh, us being in this room, how you're sitting, how I'm sitting, it, it's it's socialized. Like yeah. we were told to do it in a certain way. And so the fitness space isn't outside of that. Mm-hmm. And so we have this awesome holistic approach with, with wellness and health and all that. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to power, oppression, and privilege, which is in our everyday lives all the time, mm-hmm. some of us have to see it more than others, uh, we tell to keep it at the door. So my bigger question is how do we, in the fitness space, and the allied mm-hmm. health, this profession in general, how do we look at uh, policy, narratives, programming in classes, and all that, and include this power, pressure, and privilege critique and conversation and model in like, everything we're doing? Because mm-hmm. it's there anyway, and to not highlight is doing it a disservice. Um, and our conversation before and after class about politics, about certain things, not addressing that can, can be harmful, and not looking at, again, like art and at things that are like maybe not hard policy but are, they affect mass consciousness, which affect policy, which affect certain things. Not talking about it or or pushing it aside can be dangerous and harmful and end up in, in systemic oppression and getting people killed. 
It's super interesting because when you teach a fitness class, you have so many opportunities to make someone feel empowered, to force people to have a conversation that doesn't involve what they do for a living or where they live or what what their political beliefs are. Just have a conversation. But it it can be can be challenging. Shall we jump into your goals? Let's do it. So, Colin, can you tell me about a big goal that you've accomplished, why it was important to you and how you got there? A big goal that I've accomplished is getting Soapbox to a point where I know this model is sustainable and I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And I, I, coming out of that, I don't really know where, like, how that was measurable to me, but I remember J- December 2016, I believe, I, like, kind of conversation with myself as far as, okay, like, if I want to do this, what does this look like? And if I don't want to go, like, full steam ahead, then I need to just double down on it now and, like, figure out something else, or just go more into fitness, or go more into just, like, film, and, like, freelance a lot and do that. But I think I conversation myself saying, like, no, this is important for these reasons, and, like, let, let, let's do it. So I think from that point to, to now, where, we, where we're a nonprofit, we're, like, legal now, we have, like, a small team, we have affiliates, and, like, people are affirming on what we're doing, and I have, we have not clients, but uh, collaborators and relationships with folks, very organic, but, like, pure and genuine relationships with folks. feels good, and we have, like, our, our, our pockets in, this podcast sphere with like film with activists and it's like it's all you know it's not all skyrocketing ahead at once but we have I've seen incremental change here and there so I feel like we have an infrastructure now that that works and like we can push forward so that was like kind of my goal from that point to now and like I hit that which I feel really good about there's so much more work to be done as there always will be which is which is fine but that 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 was my goal kind of back then and it kind of has been once as I've kind of formulated eight is my rhetoric and my framing my ability to to I think dissect issues in a way that makes sense that I believe in, as well as how do I get that thing that's in my head out in the world in a way that's creative and like looks sexy or sounds cool or something that's easily digestible mm-hmm. uh, for folks. So there's so much within what you just said. You uh, you have a podcast, you have film and media projects that you're creating, and you're doing a bit of sort of organizing out in the community as well. Yeah. So let's talk. Let's talk first about community organizing and what big project you're working on now as a result of that big goal you accomplished with Soapbox. Yeah, yeah. So I think the most recent thing and the thing I've kind of gotten back to as far as actually organizing, I think for a while it was like highlighting organizers or activists or their campaigns, things like that, which I think think is important. I think is a form of organize or is a form of activism, so to speak. Uh, But now one of our most recent projects was a uh, short microdoc, because we call them microdocs, uh, with a campaign called No Copy Cabinet. And so with that, it is a kind of youth-led adult-supported campaign that is fighting back against uh, Ryan Manuel's uh, decision to make a $95 million Cobb Academy in West Garfield Park. Um, West Garfield Park is a low-income, disenfranchised black neighborhood, uh, which is kind of notorious for the police police violence. So we're organizing with them very much in a very structural way as far as going to meetings and like really figuring out how to how to make this not happen. And it's not only make the cop cabinet not happen, but also push the narrative as well as the money going towards schools and to the health clinics and, and children. So that was like a kind of two-part answer as far as we made a, a microdoc for and with them to put out in the world kind of prior to one of the city council visits to push the plan forward. But also, most integral folks at Soapbox are working with them very, very closely to not only just plan meetings, but see how our next strategy is and see how we like uh, flip Alderman on all that like really kind of like boring organizing stuff <laughs> and I, I personally haven't done that in a very long time so for me it's like it feels good to kind of be in that space and to use just like the skills I have in like planning and logistics in, a, in, in that kind of space versus just like making like 
a movie or making a film of some sort. So that's the most recent thing, and it's very timely because those decisions are being made every couple months for city council votes and stuff, and it's very much something that's happening now is important to be urgent and really get these these kids supported. And again, have the broader conversation around this just this example of uh, the way the city does and always has spent money towards towards policing and just didn't have money for schools or mental health clinics um, or like women's reproductive care and things of that nature. So all of that feeds into all of the other stuff you're doing. Obviously, I've listened to a few episodes of your podcast and you talk about a lot of different social issues as well as the media, as well as political issues, as well as just drinking bourbon in brown town. That's the most important part. Yeah. So, Colin, I I listened to a few of your episodes, and I heard you sort of weave in narratives related to No Cop Academy into the podcast as well. But it also is, it seems like it's an outlet for you to sort of hit on more timely stuff and stuff that you care about in the media. Is that right? Yeah, I think so a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of a really good example as far as No Cop and everything else, but I think one thing we were in Columbia, Missouri, which is my hometown, for the True Falls Film Festival, kind of running educational workshops, and this, we were in like kind of a circle talking about different things. We were having a, like a dinner with filmmakers, and um, this kid was kind of talking about our, our our activism work, so to speak. And with myself, my colleague David, and uh, another uh, filmmaker, crowdfunder, and he was like, like, what's like, how do we like, pretty much, how do we solve capitalism? If capitalism mm-hmm. is bad. Like, how do we solve it? It's like kind of foot away from like she answered it really well. I forgot what she said. Some about narratives, and it was great. But I, I kind of again like put forward this holistic incremental approach to things. And so I brought up No Cop Academy. And I was like, okay, so like a lot of people that are No Cop Academy, probably the most, are abolitionists. They think that uh, police and prisons should not exist. And obviously it's like a, a radical thought, quote-unquote, um, but it's like if you know police are there to put criminals in jail, then we should not want no criminals, therefore so there's no police. So like we should all like want that eventually, like, right? But it's like, okay, it's not gonna happen overnight, right? We're not gonna end capitalism or abolish police overnight. Uh, but if that's the goal, or the goal is to alleviate harm and violence in communities in general, which police are are, spo- are supposed to respond to, how do we get there, right? And so one of the things I learned this from Ruby Pinto, who's on her podcast, a good friend of mine, she's amazing, but it's like, how do we, are we incremental on this? So insert No Cop Academy. Instead of spending $95 million towards policing measures, let's spend them towards schools so kids don't have to literally cross gang lines. Like good kids who aren't involved in anything like that have to cross gang lines to get to school. And then because they have to do that, they have to protect themselves and then get they can start carrying guns just to protect themselves, and then there's a whole issue there. So it's like instead of just like all that, just open up schools or don't close schools, <laughs> fund schools, mm-hmm. fund with the health clinics, fund anti-poverty programs, fund job programs. Kind of try to undo the decades of franchisement that have been in certain certain communities. Put money towards that to so alleviate harm, alleviate crime in the first place, so you won't like, need as many cops. Then on top of that, don't they give cops mil- militarized weapons. So it's like how are we incremental in this in this goal? So I think No Cop Academy speaks to a lot of those issues, and it's also a good, like, I don't say allegory because it's very <laughs> a good example to point for is, okay, so like, how do we, in these big systemic things, A, let's not think of them as there can't be ended, it can't be abolished, or it can't be, there can't be a change made, let's look at how we incrementally get there. So it's, for me, at least, it's been a good, like, example to point at, um, and also a good thing to point at as far as how the Chicago, and really the country, since money on, is maybe it's police in a big city, maybe it's the military in general, there's rhetoric now of amping up our military. Uh, our attorney general said, like, oh, there's there's prison beds empty. We need to fill those beds. Why is that the thought process? <laughs> we shouldn't want to eliminate. The, like, like, I don't care where you come from politically. Like, you should 
if there isn't a need for a prison bed, that's great. That means like there's not like, there's not many quote unquote criminals, right? Mm-hmm. So like you, you should, everyone should want to get to that. I don't know why that's not. I very much can check when I'm I'm inserting my politics, but as far as not needing enough uh, as many prison beds, like everyone should want that. Anyway, so People it's like want to do good. <laughs> so like, like as far as like the broader narrative, how do you like use a copy academy for that thing? It's like it's paying nine hundred million dollars. It's just gonna be a lot more than that to a copy academy in Chicago. Is one example happening in twenty eighteen. That's just something to point out for the way our country does and always puts money towards punitive measures, whether that's police, whether that's the military, whether that's you know whatever is used to, to punish people, not rehabilitate people or understand where people are coming from or to alleviate the systems of trauma uh, and oppression that make, make people make decisions that are like um, really for, just to survive in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's been an easy example to point out to look at all those systems and look at the fact that uh, CBD gets 40% of the city budget. CBD gets four, $4 million a day, $1.4 billion a year, 40% of the city budget. Um, that affects everybody. That affects where your money your tax money goes to, right? So it's like, why aren't we all upset about that? And that money does not include how the city um, spends money on like, like the Laquan McDonald trial and, and trials and cases of, of, of police violence. That's, that, that's separate from the point. And bring that to a bigger level as far as country, I don't know what the military budget is, but it's, it's a lot. Um, and that does not include the war budget. That's separate. That's separate money that the, the, the country spends. Mm-hmm. So it's like this is a Chicago thing. It's a state thing. You have a budget for several years. It's a national thing. It's really a global thing, but also it's, it's very interesting looking at the stats of war and poverty and violence in, in, in Chicago, in America, in Chicago, and looking at the, the, broader, the, broader, the broader globe and looking at this kind of global international community. Mm-hmm. Um, I read an interesting article in these Times the other day talking about North Korea and Kim Jong Un, like starving his people and doing these like obviously, obviously like horrible things. But we look at the rates of poverty there and rates of poverty here; they might be the same. But it's like we're the richest country in the world who has this idea of democracy. But systemically, again, it's always the word systemically, structurally, where it's not as salient, it's not as like seen, it's not as like there's not a typically not like a huge dictator at, at the helm. But in America, look at the same numbers. And it's like oh, like we're systemically killing our populations uh, through healthcare or lack of healthcare through. And poverty through all these things, um, and then Nikki Haley, the UN ambassador, said like, "Oh, we have a good so- social social safety net," which is like, it's just, it's just not true. We just mm-hmm. don't. Um, so it's just really interesting how we look at the other parts of the world. And say, "Oh, you're doing this wrong. You have this and that and the other." And it's like, look, like it might be more salient over there. They might have a more problematic history with this. A, it's probably because of colonialism, but B, like we have the same kind of issues, but we have this idea of democracy and this aspirational goals, which we should aspire to, but also do something about them with public policy and with our rhetoric and with art and with culture and with all the things and with fitness and with everything mm-hmm. right so it's like I don't know why we have this weird excuse that you know we don't have these problems but but they do and shame on them and they're typically black and brown countries most of the time there's problems everywhere but yeah. again holistic and incremental thought is a way to come to, to come at those things so I in in this world you've created and in this company you've created you you are able to identify problems name them and then take small steps to change and bring light to those problems with help from the community around you. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> They're pivotal. <laughs> yeah, and that's, and that's an incredible journey to go down. And, and something that I think also, as you talk about the growth of your business and how you've grown it into something that you love to do and enjoy doing every th- single day, like you're probably using those same ideas of incremental growth and change mm-hmm. every day in building your business. Am I taking a step forward? Am I adding things I enjoy and love? 
into the business that I'm creating? Do I love this film if I don't start over? Right. Probably not start over. Don't start over. But how, how do you sort of see those ideas of organizing, of activism coming into your actual growth of the business you've created? I think you kind of said it. Like, that, that is how. It's trying to, like, yeah. stay fresh and stay new and be creative and, like, have fun with it. And collaborate with more folks and, and maybe different folks, folks who are other social entrepreneurs who have the same politics what we do or same kind of creativity, creative mindset that we do and trying to how to partner with them and learn from them. A lot of us have been learning from folks. So it's mm-hmm. like how do we get more people at the table? Uh, how do we make ourselves reflect what society actually looks like? Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of just like be vulnerable and challenge ourselves, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's another, the, the V word is important as far as, especially people with privilege and folks who don't seem, seem like they have privilege is like, how do you be vulnerable and like get critiqued and, and get checked on things and like take that home and kind of talk about that and, and and grow from that. So I think that's part of it, just being vulnerable and like, hey, like our business model and then people have critiqued, like you're doing too much. Like, not like no, we're not, we're fine. But it's like, mm-hmm. no, like we probably are. So like, how do we, if I know I do want to manage this, how do I, how do I do that? How do I disperse things with the team? And this is my, this is my, I mean, every film is like essentially like a, like a short, like a, is a business in and of itself of people working that might end at the end and the film is done. But I think with kind of having that film background, especially from like a producer kind of standpoint, you kind of know how to like make a thing from nothing, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't really commend enough. I think that kind of background, that training in school and outside of school helped me learn how to, how to do that. But even with that, it's like starting a business as like nonprofit from scratch and like creating, you know, art or like visual creative work, which isn't always compensated the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Trying to dismantle capitalism and sexism isn't compensated the way like it should be. Weird. And so I'm like in these things that are like, yes, it's great and I'm chill, I love this, but it's like, ah, these are not the sexy things that make me a lot of money. So how do I how do I do that? So I think it's been creative and what's been a difficult thing is not backing away from my or our politics and or the way we are the way or who we're partnering with and how we're trying to make a film or, or actually do very very nuts and bolts organizing, mm-hmm. but still stay true to the message as well as either make money or get get the product out there to a larger audience of people. Which I think I think the resurgence of activism, particularly around Black Lives Matter and, and a lot of different issues, especially in Chicago, before and after Trump have made that a little easier because things that were quote unquote radical ten years ago when I was like learn or like, you know, many years ago when I was learning about them as a teenager are not as radical now. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, the things that I think, especially after Mike Brown and uh, people really looking at prisons and policing and mass racialized incarceration really critically, now that's an issue that like, you know, Republican and Democratic senators are talking about and grappling with, uh, mainly because of the economics and there's not enough, you know, it's, it's a waste of money, mm-hmm. um, but also it's like institutionally racist. That's something that's very, it's easier to talk about that now in like the New Jim Crow and like 13th and all these like, again, books and Documentaries and like art pieces are out, so it makes it easier for folks to digest them in ways that, in ways that they can understand. So like another important thing with art is like it makes people be able to understand that they're going to read a research paper, but they're going to watch a documentary and help them understand certain things. So I think with that, with those kind of two kind of resurgences of people broadening their lens, uh, it's a lot easier to push things that um, are aligned with that now than they were. You know, I was a teenager and learning about them and learning about the Black Panthers, things like that. Uh, I think. They had like a weird tinge then, or when Angela Davis was talking about police abolition and prison abolition, that was like, that just is a radical thought now. Not that it's not now either, but it's much more palatable and folks are willing to listen to it mm-hmm. now. It's it's interesting too because I think I think that there's like a certain allowance you have to give yourself as people to have conversations with other people of sure. like acknowledging your own ignorance too. Like yeah. I, I think as 
as like we have conversations with people if you don't know something and you're just nodding along or you don't know like the proper way to converse with something sure. someone on something or the proper way to like am i going to offend you just ask and just have conversations with people who have different backgrounds too so <laughs> we talked about your big goal yeah. we talked about sort of how you got there um everything you did along the way so let's talk about a goal that you have for the future okay and how you plan to get there yeah um one of the things one of the products i've been developing for a little bit now is a tv series called how to rob which is like a wolf of wall street meets the wire in 80s chicago so it's political and hopefully sexy and all that good stuff and all things i kind of talked about up until this point but it's nuanced and deals with characters who are scripted and written. And written. Uh, so it's not a documentary, which is a lot of the work we've been doing the past little bit. And so for me, my goal is to see how to rob like an hour-long drama on a, a big network or a big streaming platform. And that'll be hard to, to get to. Um, that's mainly my goal is I think the project itself is awesome. Um, but also I've been doing a lot of documentary type work in the past little bit, and I haven't really done scripted work in a long time. And that's kind of where I cut my teeth on as far as filmmaking. So I'm just making up things that happen from nothing, or don't happen from nothing, but are, are fictional, right? And so one of my goals in the next, you know, couple of years, I guess, is to see how to rob into fruition. And mm-hmm. if it gets, if it can ever happen, then that's fine. But no, I put my best foot forward as far as make that happen. So special goals for now is kind of get the, the script better than what it is, build a better pitch package around it, and to shoot like a short trailer for the project and then figure out the ways and who to navigate around or folks who have bigger names than I do to get signed on to 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 get it to get it created essentially. Which is a you know, a, a feat, will be a feat. Mm-hmm. But I know some folks kind of in the filmmaking community in Chicago who are doing awesome work and kind of getting some of their creative projects in places they sh- they should be. So I don't have resources at my disposal and people I knew from film school to kinda of talk to and I figure out how that happens. But it's also a world I have not only been been involved in the wilds, I don't do much freelance film work as much anymore, as well as being on the creative end of it. And then this is my project and being the next executive producer with absolutely no names. <laughs> How does that happen? So for me, that is a big goal of mine. And I'm itching to be creative again in that in that way. Mm-hmm. I think all the work we do is creative. As like fitness professionals, all the work we do is creative. Uh, but creative in that sense, um, that will be a, a, a very hard feat. But I think now I'm more prepared to make that leap and make that jump than I ever have been before. For me, that's my next like big, big goal, and I really see that to fruition for a while. But I'm willing to, to to make it work. So with a giant goal like that, you're obviously making small steps forward every single day. How do you sort of set that goal in the first place, and how do you hold yourself accountable for it? Sure, setting it, just being realistic. Um, so I think the first thing for me is like, okay, like the script and the p- pitch package are are written. The script bible is what they call it for TV. And it's like it's done, so to speak, but it's not the best it could be. So it's okay, I want to get this done before the fall. Cool, I have time, I think I can do that. After that's done, what's next? Okay, like making a script for just the trailer, because we're gonna shoot very particularly to make the trailer for it. Maybe that'll take so many months. Okay, then shooting the trailer. So I think like everything else, holistic incremental, right? So yep. making practical incremental goals for myself and for the team to make that happen. So I think just being practical and step by step with it. I, I think for creative people, it has it it always comes from a place of like big idea, vision first, yeah, uh, and then it's sort of like what are the things I need to do to bring this big crazy idea to life, and how do I hold myself to it? It's so like people who write books have to hold yeah. themselves like they have a big idea for a book, and they have to hold themselves accountable to write twenty pages a day or whatever isn't 
bananas. That sounds bananas. Yeah. But whatever it is that actually holds them and holds their feet to the fire as they charge towards that goal. Do you have anyone in your life that sort of is working with you on this project or is sort of lo- walking in lockstep with you as you charge yeah, towards I it? Yeah, I think I definitely do. Like, uh, like my colleague Dave with Soapbox, mm-hmm. uh, he knows bad. And we've kind of, there's been iterations where we've all kind of sat down, kind of edited the script or kind of worked through it at a time. My best friend from home, who's getting married a couple months, is uh, we kind of, I kind of pitched him the story, kind of worked on the story together. He did a lot of research for the story, and I wrote it. And so he's very much one of those people. However, he's like super busy, and so it's not like he's every day checking in. Hey, did you write a page or two on how to rob? Did you edit it today? So as far as the place I'm at now, I haven't really, but I think I will uh, em- try to employ those people to keep me accountable when I'm at a point where I know I can. I can I can deliver. So I feel like if I was like, mm-hmm. hey, next week, make sure I do this. I'm not. And it's not gonna happen the next week because I, I just know that. So I think a lot of it's gonna be practical on knowing yourself. Like I'm not at the point where I like can have folks hold me accountable. I know I'm not gonna get X Y Z done. Mm-hmm. But in two months, I'll have David checking with me as far as getting how to route ready to go because it affects him too because he works with me with soapbox, right? Mm-hmm. So like it's, it's more it's, now it's like bigger than just me. Like as far as how to rob as a project, soapbox success in general. Or oh, before it was kind of just me kind of doing things and calling it soapbox and hopefully like something stuck. Where now it's like, oh no, this, this is like we have a, like a brand and like we're a thing now. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just if I fail, it's not just like, oh man, I, I'll do something else. Like no, like we fail, right? So it affects more people than it's a community, right? And mm-hmm. like even outside of just soapbox, it's like our collaborators and affiliates and folks who worked with us before. Um, and again, all those folks are I think more than not just like clients, but they're, they're we have relations with them. So um, that kind of helps just in and of itself as far as like what we do. Not impacts everybody, but people are looking at us as we're looking at them. Um, at least I like to think so. And folks who have affirmed what we're doing in the past are you know, looking forward to keep push the buck forward. Um, especially as hopefully we have like more money coming in, more like people we collaborate with. It's like when you again, when you know better, you do better. When you have more, you do more. So with that power, it has some responsibility. I feel like. Yeah, and and it sounds like you've also found your boss too. So I I always talk to entrepreneurs about. The idea that you always have a boss, it just depends on like who it is, whether it's an actual physical human being who is right. your boss. But as entrepreneurs, it's either your audience or right. your customers or your project. It sounds like your project's your boss. Yeah, it, it kind of is. Yeah. Um, it kind of is, especially when you want to talk about Soapbox, like we've been doing a lot of like doc work lately, lately, like I've said, which has been great. It's like, oh, we do scripted content, unscripted content, this, that, and the other. And it's like, oh, like, where's your unscripted content or scripted content? It's like, well, we did this short film years ago, and it's, it's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, oh, I need to like, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna preach this, I need to like, we need to make something for it. So it's like, this mantra, this framework of soapbox, as far as what we do practically in our like, what we think about the world, it's like, I, it needs to live up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, if it doesn't, we need to take, the, I need to stop saying that. Um, so far, if it's like, okay, I need to, this is important. Like the scripted work is important as well, as far as changing the narrative and all that. Um, just as important as the documentary stuff. So I need to fulfill that void. I'm not just because I want just like fulfill it, but it's like I want have have a thing in mind to do that in a way that I haven't done before. So how do I get to that and push that forward? Mm-hmm. So yeah, the product very much is is my boss. Well, here we go. Uh, how to rob coming at you. Boop, boop. 2019, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Let's do that. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's, yeah, give me give yeah. me something. Give me tangible. give me give me a tangible goal to get to. Um, and what else do you want listeners to know about you as a human, as a professional? Where can they find you? Come to all my fitness classes, <laughs> all the places. Uh, follow me on Instagram. That's the easiest way to like know at least where I'm we'll teaching. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, Colin Fit on the gram. Also a website, which I need to update, but ColinHudson.com. For Soapbox, SoapboxPO, as in Productions and Organizing, .com, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Just SoapboxPO. Find our latest and greatest. Sign up for the newsletter. 
donate, toss us that bag because we are hurting right now. Most <laughs> <laughs> um, of my income comes from fitness and some of like my freelance stuff. Some of like my soul box products here and there. Uh, we should have, we are technically a nonprofit right now. We should get 501c3 status hopefully in the next couple months. Um, but toss us the monies, folks. This is not free work. We've been doing it for free for a very long time. And it, uh, I would love to have the hustles so hard. Is the link to donate on the website? Soapboxpo.com slash support. Support. Okay. We'll link to that as well. Colin, thank you. This has been great. This has been a joy. Having so much fun. Yeah, I'll sit, I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not afraid. Hey, goal getters. Cindy Kuzma here. Thanks for hanging out. And now we have something very special for you. It's one of your goals. If you would like to share a goal of your own to be featured on a future episode of We Got Goals, you can do that by recording a voice memo and emailing it to me at cindy at sweatlife.com. Thanks so much for listening. And here's one of your goals. Yeah, I'll sit, I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not my name is Corinne and I live in Bucktown in Chicago. Professionally, I have a big goal. I really want to grow my business um, with my company Beauty Counter. And I just started this business in January and um, have been pretty successful at it. And I guess I can kind of keep on the same path, but actually writing my small goals out to get to my big goal is what my what my path is going to be and and like write it down put it on my desk put it on my vision board and um, remind myself every day that there is a goal out there and every day to work hard to, to achieve it yeah, I said I'll be on the road I'll be back I'm just reaching for a goal so don't be upset when I'm not around just know I'll be back so no need to frown This podcast is a sweatlife.com production, and it's another thing that's better with friends. So please share it with yours. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a chance to leave us a rating or a review while you're there, we would really appreciate it. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music, to our guest this week, Colin Hudson, to Tech Nexus for the recording studio, and to you, our listeners.